I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Well, Margot, we're about to make the big bucks as of today because we've hit our 100th episode. Yay! Confetti, confetti, <laughs> confetti. confetti. All, all the confetti. Wait, wait so where's our, our car? Like, do we? what do we win? Is this like Price I, is Right, though? Do we have to do an over-under and then we get a prize? Or Yeah, we have to do over-under. Is the prize the journey to getting to 100 episodes? It is the journey to getting to 100 episodes, uh, and then maybe if we're lucky, a showcase showdown or the mm. <laughs> the opportunity to get a camper. I think that might be it for us. <laughs> then the question becomes, where do we park the camper? <laughs> As you can tell, we are ready for syndication uh, because... <laughs> Give us those residues already. TBS, call us. USA, sandwich us between a five-hour SVU marathon. Is USA still with us? I believe they are. I believe okay. they are. They're making characters funny, or is that them? What? I don't know. I, I forget you. The TNT, USA, TBS. I just, I forget who's, whose tagline is whose. But Characters are welcome and char- they know drama and they're also funny. We covered yes. all our bases. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. I I just came up with like a conglomerate, like uh, a composite. Don't say that word too loud around them. They might just be one. That's true. Well, this is obviously a big deal for us. Uh, Since conceiving the show in 2018 and first going live in 2019, we had always talked about this day and here we are celebrating it. Um, Marco, I could have hired Bette Midler to appear right now to sing Wind Beneath My Wings to you, but I don't have the the funds to do that. So I just want to say I've loved all the time we've spent together recording this little podcast of ours. Oh, that's so nice. I don't even need Barbara Streisand. And yes, we definitely can't afford it at all whatsoever. 
I don't know if we spent a ton of time talking about getting to 100 episodes, but I do know that we spent a lot of time talking about a, a bunch of other dumb shit. And for that, I am so grateful for our friendship <laughs> and for this podcast as an outlet for both of us to put all of this bar trivia into uh, something productive and like a body of work. It is amazing that we took a bunch of drunken conversations at friends' parties and really turned it into something beautiful that Spotify Wrapped announced to us today is being played in 26 different countries, I would like to add. You know I'm not religious, but look at God. (laughs) Look at God. Look at her go. Look at her. Look at her go. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Now, before we go into today's episode, I wanted to know, since it is our 100th episode, do you have a favorite episode or a favorite moment from one of our episodes? Oh, our personal episodes. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Not TV. Um, Favorite episode? I mean, I have a couple. Like, I really love our teen heartthrob episode. I think that that's very funny. I also like our three blonde pop stars episode. I don't think that gets enough love. I also enjoyed our rom-com leading men. I loved our... um, what is it? One Hit Wonders and our 1999, all of like the VMAs and all the musics. I've I've really enjoyed a vast majority of the things that we've recorded. I mean, I'm sure there's like there's just like a special place in my heart, though, for our Hills and Laguna Beach, our very first episode. Yeah. Put us on a map, unclear which, but put us on a map. And yeah, so that's, I don't know, maybe that's some, I think maybe the Spidey wedding is maybe my favorite moment. That was definitely one of the funnier ones. Or the the Chuck E. Cheese backstory mini episode. That was very funny. Those are like my favorite moments, let's say. Like whenever we're completely unhinged and discovering something absolutely insane for the first time that we didn't know is always my favorite moment. Yeah, I think you brought up several for me that I share with you in terms of favorite episodes. Um, Chuck E. Cheese backstory definitely being one, uh, especially when I, we got to shell out our very offensive Italian accent. <laughs> Look, and then it, we thought we were offensive, and then in scoots Jared Leto and House of Gucci. Okay, I, I don't mean, think we have anything to feel sorry for. We we we've been pardoned at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. I think. One of the more interesting things for me was when we did our America's Next Top Model episode, oh. learning that Kenya Barris of like Blackish <laughs> and the Ish universe was one of the producers and creators of that show was like fascinating. Um, and I do love all of our heartthrob episodes have been very fun to record. Um, and just yeah, getting to go down memory lane and make some playlists along the way. I really enjoyed it. Great playlists. Beautiful Great playlists. playlists. Beautiful playlists. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, the rest in peace. <laughs> yes, it's full of terrible emo music. It's great. <laughs> well, on this momentous occasion, we felt it was only fitting that we dedicate our 100th episode in a very meta way to famous 100th episodes of TV. I'm going to go into a little background, uh, very short, that when it comes to TV in general, there are about 100 episodes is generally the marker of a show that could go into syndication and air reruns. And the reason 100 is the magic number is because that equates to 20 weeks of unique weekday runs. And with that, they can sell the episodes for more money to the networks uh, to license them out. That 100th episode mark, at least up until fairly recently with network television, would usually hit around the fifth season since each season used to be around 22 episodes in those orders. 
According to my research, the most recent show to hit the 100th episode mark is none other than our friend Eileen McGonigal's favorite TV show, The Good Doctor. It's different. (laughs) A special shout out to the Freddie Highmore cardboard cutout currently living in a basement in Philadelphia. (laughs) May he rest. Uh, so, um, in terms of order today, I, I will say, let's go into the ones that are the better of the two for each of us. So you can go into Buffy cause I know that's your all time favorite. And I will go into the Simpsons after that. Okay. Sounds good. So I chose the gift, which I didn't realize was the hundredth episode, even though I'm a big Buffy fan i guess it's just one of those things you like when you watch them in order you're not really keeping track and plus it's like oh it's season five episode 20 whatever but this is the one episode of television that i can safely say ruined my life i ran home from dance practice to watch it in real time and when it ended not only was i sobbing i was like this cannot be the end right i had never been more devastated by a singular episode before or since i think (laughs) i spent all summer harassing my mom, asking her what the difference was between series and season finale to make sure that we were like clear on the language of like, is Buffy going to come back? Like, was it a series (laughs) or season finale? Like, can they come back technically from a series finale? These are the questions that I was asking as a 13 year old. It was also the final episode of Buffy on the WB. And it was unclear at that point, though, if it was going to move to UPN. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had finally forgiven Joss Wheaton, not, I mean, at the time, I do not forgive him currently for being an absolute horrible, tone-deaf, low-key, narcissistic dipshit. No, I forgave him for stealing, stealing, quotes, uh, my fan fiction idea of having Buffy have a long-lost sister, but it was supposed to be me, and I wasn't supposed to be that (laughs) annoying. Yeah, get out of here, Michelle Trattenberg. (laughs) No one likes you. (laughs) Well, that's not true. Okay, I love her in Harriet the Spy, and she's fine as Georgina, but no one likes you as Dawn. Right, exactly. Like we like Michelle Trachtenberg, but she as Dawn. I mean, Dawn doesn't get oh, D- Dawn doesn't get less annoying until like the last three episodes of the last season. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I have a lot of feelings about the gift, but I am going to just get into some facts now that I'm out of my feelings. The Gift is the season five finale and also the 100th episode, and the episode serves as the WB finale of the series, which was not made clear to a 13-year-old who was very invested, as it was moved to UPN for the remainder two seasons that it uh, was on the air. The Gift was written by and directed by Joss Whedon, and it was broadcast uh, May 22nd, 2001 on the WB. In The Gift, Buffy refuses to accept that her sister Dawn's death is the only way to defeat the Hell God, Glory, and prepares for battle. In the end, she discovers the meaning of her gift and that her gift is to sacrifice herself for the greater good, and then she plummets off a tower into the hellish portal beneath her. The way I screamed when this happened, my stepmom thought something terrible had happened to me. (laughs) So she's going to face off against the stylish and extremely evil and would totally make a great housewife, Glory. And Buffy has met her match. Glory's whole thing is draining the sanity of human beings to maintain her own, like kind of like a Sanderson sister. But like instead of looking young and beautiful, she just becomes uh, she gets superhuman strength, uh, speed and near invulnerability. So if The Gift had aired as it originally had been intended, it was supposed to be the series finale, and it probably would have ended the show on a high note. But instead, Buffy was left in limbo after this. Excuse me. But instead, Buffy was left in limbo after this to 
be decided by UPN. And Whedon, in the meantime, left the show. He handed his showrunner duties over to Marty Noxon, and then it finally did move over to UPN for its last two seasons. Season five is probably the most complex season where we see a departure from the quick-witted teens that we know and love to dealing with real-life stuff like Buffy's mom suddenly dying in the body and getting to know Spike as a real person and not some Billy Idol knockoff vampire. But Buffy, thankfully, didn't end with the gift. Instead, killing off Buffy paved the way for the show to go to a much darker route in season six. But when Buffy stands on the scaffolding with Dawn bleeding out beside her, the ritual commencing and a hellmouth beneath her, Buffy realizes that the world that she knows it is no longer there. She can't rely on her mom. Giles is gone. And even school that used to be a big distraction is no longer an option for her. And that's when the full weight of her once in a generation gift becomes clear to her. Earlier in the season, a slayer from a bygone era tells her death is your gift. And that's why she sacrifices herself into the portal. But it's not with fear, but with relief. Sadly enough, the gift is kind of the last time we see the Scooby gang like this. After they revive Buffy in season six, much to my 13-year-old self's relief, we find out that they pulled her out of heaven and this leads her into a spiral of depression and self-loathing that kind of mirrors Willow's increasingly dark side, which, you know, as fans know, is Dark Willow era. And Giles grows very detached. Of course, the most egregious era of the gift, though, is that Sam Michelle Geller was never nominated for an Emmy. She has this heartbreaking conversation with Giles about the cost of being a slayer and just shows how much grief and resolve is within her. And she makes the decision to jump into the portal. She proves that she was capable of delivering not only like action hero stunts and quippy one-liners, but real pathos and emotion. Famously, besides the inscription on the tombstone that reads, beloved sister, beloved friend, she saved the world a lot, is the last thing Buffy tells Dawn before she jumps is, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. Now for fun stuff. James Marsters appears in both the Buffy universe 100th episode and obviously the Angel 100th episode. You're welcome. This episode also marks the final time Anthony Stewart Head is featured in the opening titles as and Anthony Stewart Head as Giles. He was then replaced by Allison Hannigan taking over as Allison Hannigan as Willow for the remainder of the series, and he was bumped down to special guest star. As I mentioned, this episode was originally supposed to be the series finale, and several of the ideas that were used in the real finale two years later were originally written for this episode. Uh, a great example being Sunnydale was supposed to be destroyed by the Hellmouth, but that they decided to save that idea for Chosen, the series, the real series finale. Giles was also supposed to confess to Buffy about killing Ben. Ben is the human form Glory takes, and Buffy beats the shit out of her with this like giant Thor-like hammer, but then she turns into Ben, and Buffy can't kill him because she doesn't kill humans. She kills vampires, but then Giles straight up puts his ass to sleep forever as soon as she walks away. Anyway, this was supposed to happen in the episode Lies. My parents told me, but the scene ended up getting cut. This was also the last original episode to air on the Warner Brothers Network because of this the WB decided to promote this episode as a series finale, making teens uh, absolutely terrified that it was not actually the season finale and that it would actually air on PN the following seasons. Um, I'm only including this last little bit because I am covering the South Park 100th episode. So it's a little bit of fun uh, synergy. When the group first sees the tower, Xander says, which is a slang term first used in South Park coach co-creator Trey Parker's Cannibal the Musical. So I just thought that was an interesting little crossover that there's uh, a little bit of South Park in my Buffy. But two quick things before I go. I am firmly in the camp that Buffy should have just let Dawn die. Fuck Dawn. And 
No, another Slayer wouldn't have been called because technically Buffy dies in season one and she summons Kendra, who then dies, who then summons Faith. So then when Faith dies, a new Slayer will be called. But this is all sort of like a moot point anyway because of the way that the series ends. But those are my last two things about Buffy and the gift. I um, feel like the gift might be one of the few episodes we talk about today that really does have a plot point to like set the narrative to go in a different direction. Because in my case, like I'll talk about this with The Simpsons, you know, The Simpsons has some slight linear narratives, but it is one of those things where you can kind of watch each episode on its own and it's a story that's told. And for me, that episode of The Simpsons, that's the 100th episode, is sweet Seymour Skinner's badass song. And I had to, there's like seven S's in this, so I had to say it correctly. And that is the 19th episode of the fifth season of The Simpsons, and it originally aired on Fox April 28th, 1994. The episode was directed by Bob Anderson, who's a longtime Simpsons episode director, most recently directing the episode Boys in the Highlands, which aired earlier this year. And the episode was written by longtime writing partners Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. Oakley and Weinstein, who've worked together since they met in eighth grade at St. Albans School in D.C., started working as story editors beginning season three and went on to write several episodes of the show, eventually becoming showrunners for both seasons seven and eight, and eventually leaving to create Mission Hill and work on other shows, including Futurama and The Cleveland Show. The plot of this episode revolves around Principal Skinner getting fired by Superintendent Chalmers due to an incident involving Bart bringing the family dog, Santa's little helper, to school for show and tell. When Skinner gets replaced by the Simpsons' next-door neighbor and PTA president, Ned Flanders, and decides to re-enlist in the Army, Bart decides uh, that he wants to try and help Skinner get his job back. The title is a parody of the film Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, a 1971 American black exploitation film written, co-produced, scored, edited, directed by, and starring Melvin Van Peebles. In terms... <laughs> There's a name in, you do not hear often. Indeed. <laughs> in terms of cultural references made in this episode, because The Simpsons chock full of them, it opens with a Super 8 video of Homer and Marge in the 70s set to Joe Cocker's cover of With a Little Help from My Friends, a la Wonder Years theme. And it also references Alien when Santa's little helper gets stuck in the HVAC fence in the school and Principal Skinner uses a heat tracker to find groundskeeper Willie as he's trying to catch him. And it references Full Metal Jacket when Skinner goes and relists in the army and runs drills with his troops. There were a fun few Easter eggs in this episode. I rewatched it last night that referenced the milestone of the 100th episode, including the opening theme where Bart writes in detention, the phrase on the board is, I will not celebrate meaningless milestones. And when the the family jumps to sit on the couch together at the end, Homer notices the Fox graphic on the screen, rips it off and stamps on it with his family joining in on the stamping as well. You remember like in network television when you had the logo (laughs) of a network on the screen, like things that people will not know anymore. It's such a weird (laughs) little (laughs) thing of a bygone era. Um, Yeah. I mean, you have to watch TV live to see stuff like that, obviously. Yeah. I think the worst offense is like on Hallmark and on Bravo. And then if you watch like even watching like Bob's Burger, like recorded off the DVR, the pop ups that take up half the screen with the logo attached. It's like, guys, I can't see what's going on. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're missing half the plot in the process. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're cutting <laughs> off a, a bunch of the screen for kind of no reason. I think the Kelsey Grammer one was the most egregious. I want to say it was like on Hallmark. I just had it on. But every time I kind of turned around from like folding laundry, just see Kelsey Grammer's little head pop up and he like turns to you to the camera. And you're like, oh, my God, monster. <laughs> It's funny you bring up Kelsey Grammer because oh, no. <laughs> when, when this episode aired, this is another thing of a bygone era, stars would appear in the commercial breaks to celebrate the 100th episode of the show. And so kind of like you used to have these interstitials and you had kind of things before commercial breaks to remind you of the show you're watching. Kelsey Grammer did one and he said, hello, Kelsey Grammer here. Uh, felicitations to the people who bring the Simpsons to life. May you make 100 more. Um, the other people who did these were Leonard Nimoy and Luke Perry, both RIP. Um, and uh, this in terms of like being a real like hundredth episode feeling, it's like they make a slight reference to it in the beginning. But really, it's it's mostly that they wanted to ensure that for this episode, it would be a special episode dedicated to Bart, kind of the point, the center point of the show. And it is a sweet and sentimental episode because Though um, Skinner is normal, Principal Skinner is normally Bart's nemesis, as Lisa rightfully calls out, you know, Sherlock Holmes has his Moriarty and Bart reference says Mountain Dew has their mellow yellow, that they need each other as a foil to work and operate in this environment. This was also an episode that featured a few characters for the first time, kind of minor characters, including baby Gerald, which is that baby with a unibrow who's Maggie's nemesis, Luigi Risotto, another offensive Italian <laughs> accent, <laughs> assistant superintendent Leopold, and then Flanders' parents who turned out to be huge beatniks in contrast with Ned Flanders' born-again Christian ideals. Um in terms of when this show aired, it actually finished 16th in the ratings for uh, April 5th, 25th to May 1st, 1994, and had a Nielsen rating of 12.7, translating to 12 million households, which the, this day and age would have made it a number one show, <laughs> I'd like to say. I know, right? <laughs> Of course, The Simpsons has, has always done a great job predicting the future, and they did that in this episode in which... Uh, we see that there have been budget cuts at the school and lunch lady Doris is making burgers from meat in a barrel labeled associated horse parts. So <laughs> the Simpsons predicted the Ikea horse meat scandal of the early 2010s. Um, that's really all I have for this episode, just because, like I mentioned earlier, the Simpsons uh, TV show doesn't really have kind of a lateral progression, but it is a very cute episode. And one that I remembered actually seeing for the first time in French when I was in France visiting my cousins as a kid. Like, I was rewatching it last night and I immediately got a flashback to, oh my God, I saw this episode in French. I remember this. I watched like most of the first season of Family Guy in French. And so anytime <laughs> I see a first season Family Guy, like I hear it in my mind a little bit in French before it like fully clicks in that that's not <laughs> it's the old style, like the old way that they used to draw it too. So it, yes, it, my, my brain is like confused when it looks at it. But similar to your Simpsons problem, my <laughs> South Park 100th episode kind of suffers the same fate, right? Like it's a sitcom format. So it doesn't have a season arc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That propels it, and it's only an episodic plot. It's not a series plot because it just sort of starts over. Everything starts out, resets. I mean, I think South Park now does I mean, I know the last couple of seasons they have had like a through line, like when Randy was pretending to be um, Lord. That was really funny. And that was like kind of like a running gag. I am Lord. La, la, la. <laughs> la, la. So the problem and the, I think almost like the most jarring thing of rewatching this 100th episode, especially after Buffy, is what a non- deal it is like it's just another episode it's just yeah. episode whatever six in in their in their seventh season it's like not a big deal at all but you know we do have a little there's there's one little fun fact that i did find out i'm a little bit country is the fourth episode of the se- seventh season of south park and their hundredth episode technically because they wanted a different episode to be the hundredth but we will get to that it originally aired on Comedy Central on April 9th, 2003, and it was based on the country song, A Little Bit Country, A Little Bit Rock and Roll. It was written by Marty Cooper and made famous by Donnie and Marie Osmond. The episode aired around the same time as the uh, ever upbeat U.S. invasion of Iraq. In the episode, the boys join anti-war protests because they want to get out of class. Their plan to protest their way out of class, though, goes south and they find themselves in the middle of two opposing sides yelling about the issue. Meanwhile, Cartman attempts a flashback to 1776 to avoid studying for his history test. Or I'm sorry, history essay. They they are assigned um, a written component in order to join the protests outside and they have to figure out what the founding fathers would think about the U.S. going to war with Iraq. The episode was written by Trey Parker, and Matt and Trey had noticed that all the pro-rock songs were written by country artists and all the anti-war songs were written by rockers. This made them think about the old Donnie and Marie standard, I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll, and thus the entire episode hinged on getting the rights to use this song, and the rights weren't really secured up until the very last second. Benjamin Franklin is voiced by Norman Lear, who also served as a creative consultant for this episode because they based the flashback that Cartman experiences on an experience that Lear had touring around schools with a copy of the with a copy of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> uh, he's like 100 years old at this point. He's I think getting, he literally he literally yeah, he him literally and- celebrating it. Him and Carl Rainier are like, you know, they're like the same fucking age, they're like in 98, 99. They're, yeah. <laughs> he's still got it. That is such an odd, like, I feel I wanted to look more into it. I was like, no, got to focus on the episode itself. So I'm like, why is Norman Lear touring schools with a copy of the Declaration of Independence? A question for a different day. <laughs> but the core lesson that South Park wants to impart is something that actually still 
rings true today because satire, gotta love it, said America gets its strength from its ability to, quote, say one thing and do another. In other words, while part of the U.S. population can instigate a war against an adversary, the other part can bitch and complain about it and protest about it. Thus, an American cause is advanced while the nation's appearance continues to be seen as liberal, pluralistic, and everyone's happy. In the episode, when Randy decides to blend his liberal rock songs with conservative country, they perform their own rendition of Donnie and Marie's I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll. And it wasn't until they start performing this part that they even like mention that it's their 100th episode. And I think maybe that's because I'm a little bit country wasn't originally supposed to be the 100th episode. It was supposed to be canceled, otherwise known as Cartman gets anal probed redux. Because if you can recall, episode one, season one, Cartman gets an anal probe. Anyway, canceled ended up being their 97th episode instead, and it aired just a few weeks before I'm a little bit country. And South Park is still running today. (laughs) So I don't really... And how they keep doing it is because there is no overarching anything other than uh, social commentary and satire, and that's why they're still doing it. You know, it's funny you brought up the the country rock and roll of it all. Like, um, it just reminds me of later Team America, America World Police, like mm-hmm. that Freedom Costa Bucko Night. <laughs> uh, it's a great song. Yeah. So Friends, the episode I'm going to talk about right now with Friends does, you know, tie itself to a story arc. It actually tie it actually finishes up a story arc um, that happens throughout a few of the seasons. And that is Phoebe's pregnancy, mm. which was written into the show because Lisa Kudrow at the time was pregnant with her son. So in terms of the episode, which is titled The 100th, otherwise known as the one with the triplets, because all the Friends episodes have the one or the one with. Mm-hmm. It's the third episode of the fifth season of Friends, and the episode first aired on October 8th, 1998, and was written by show creators, runners, and executive producers David Crane and Marta Kaufman, who've gone on to produce other must-see TV shows that you, Margot, mentioned during our appointment television episode, both Veronica's Closet and Jesse. <laughs> Which Crane one and Kaufman- Jesse again? That's with Christina Applegate. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, sorry. Yes. Oh, no, no worries. Crane and Kaufman decided they wanted to celebrate the show's 100th episode by having a major event take place. So they decided, like I mentioned, to culminate one of the show's story arcs. So in this episode, Phoebe, played by Lisa Kudrow, gives birth to the triplets she's been a surrogate to for her brother, Frank Jr., played by, I always forget he's a Scientologist, Giovanni Ribisi, and sister-in-law, Alice, played by Deborah Jo Ruff, a.k.a. Kitty Foreman from That 70s Show. And you'll notice if you watch this episode, she shows up way later in the episode. And part of that was because she was filming the first few seasons of that 70s show at the time. And Mm -hmm. so they were able to get her to appear, but for a much shorter amount of time than in the previous story arc. I always found this storyline to be... Oh, weird. Uh, Yeah. Cringy. Like... (laughs) Just like, okay, that's that's interesting. Just... (laughs) 
It is one of the stranger things. Like, there's just so many other ways this could have gone. It could have been, it could have even been less weird by Phoebe having being Phoebe's like cousin or something. Like, it just right. there's so many ways this could have been less weird, and yet it was so weird. I I needed to not be like a a one to one. You know, I need yes. like I need yes. some some layers of separation. Also, I mean, I'm sure for reasons about the show, they didn't want to have Phoebe have a baby. But why couldn't Phoebe just have her own baby? Like, I don't understand to be honest she probably would have been a much better mother than rachel like i'm just saying (laughs) now we said it now we said it phoebe's delivery is assigned to an obstetrician who's obsessed with fonzie from the happy from happy days and (laughs) makes references to the fonts throughout her labor including turning on the tv in the hospital room because a rerun is on tv as there are a couple of happy days get gags throughout the run of friends. Like at one point they're in an episode where they're all in a beach house and the beach house has nothing um, but the happy days game. And so they have to play this board game where they get cool points whenever they win anything. Like it's, it, it comes up throughout the entire uh, series. But anyway, as Phoebe is experiencing contractions at the hospital, she tells Rachel that she wants to keep one of the babies and asks Rachel to ask her brother, Ultimately, he says no, surprise, surprise, and Phoebe tearfully says goodbye to the triplets she's carried, who are named Frank Jr. Jr., Chandler, who is originally supposed to be a boy but is actually a girl, and Leslie. The B-plot to Phoebe giving birth. I hate I hate everything you just said, but okay. I know. The B-plot <laughs> to Phoebe giving birth is around Joey experiencing sharp pains while everyone's at the hospital. Phoebe thinks they're sympathy pains when in mm. fact they're kidney stones and oh, Joey has this. to pass them. <laughs> and they have what's kind of – it is kind of funny when they have the parallel where, Lee's, where Phoebe is looking at the babies after she's given birth. Um, they're like, congratulations. And then afterwards, you see Joey looking at the little like a vial of his kidney stones and they're like, congratulations. That was kind of funny. Um, but he gets kidney stones and he has to pass them in the hospital. And then there's a C plot. There's a lot going on in this episode. Uh, and it's Chandler and Monica hiding that they've been hooking up for a while from everyone. And Rachel has set up a double date for her and Monica with some cute nurses she's met. And Chandler pretends to be cool with it, but he's really not. And it continues the, you know, will they or won't they like officially start dating of um, Chandler and Monica, uh, kind of the B plot to the Ross and Rachel of it all. But back to the main storyline around Phoebe giving birth. This ended the pregnancy story arc, as I mentioned earlier, created in the fourth season because Lisa Crudo was pregnant with her son, Julian. And by the way, she tagged him on something in Instagram recently, and now he's in his 20s, which made me feel really old. You Do you know Lisa Kudrow? I feel like you had a, you have a Lisa Kudrow story. Yeah. Um, she, her husband, well, she married a French guy. Yes. And the French people community in LA is, you know, whatever. Like somehow you y'all we all know each other. And I I think it's kind of true for all communities of expats or whatever, or immigrants yes. or however you want to put it. Um and so she, her husband was friends with my mom's college friend. And so I had ah. met her once and her son and they were all like they're all normal nice people. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't really like I was pretty young because I think I mean, her I mean, her son must have been like a baby or maybe one. And I was older, but like I still had not 
like I knew friends and like watched friends every once in a while, but like had not gotten into obviously this is like pre the comeback or even had gotten into Romy and Michelle at this point either. But she was yeah. always super nice. And like, yeah, it's weird to see her son grow. It's like, oh, I, I hardly remember the last time I saw you, but you were definitely not graduating from college. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Marta Kaufman, the writer, uh, wrote the storyline as Phoebe being a surrogate um, for her brother and sister-in-law's triplets because she thought multiple kids was funnier than just one and then also thought the lines around her saying that she was having her brother's kids would make for great writing. But now as we're talking about it, not so much great writing as confusing and weird writing. <laughs> and why is three kids funnier than one? Especially I don't if, know. Especially when... They're, she's not gonna the sounds weird keep them yeah I, it's the 90s like <laughs> you know what's really you know what's funnier than one baby three babies this is very like the reboot writers room happening yes. right now that's how yes. I feel because yes. that's yes. really makes Paul Reiser of it all <laughs> yeah it's feeling very like baby's day out is that something yeah. like I, yeah. I don't get it I don't get the oh, three God. is funnier than one I and don't either he's having her brother's kid does not sound funny it sounds gross <laughs> it's very gross um and it's uh yeah it's just a weird plot line that you know i think there were there were some that, that were better yes <laughs> so many yes. other things you could have done with that yes in earlier drafts of the episode phoebe wanting to keep a baby was a much bigger deal rather oh. than this kind of minor part where she like wants one and she insists she wants one but it kind of ends pretty quickly um but they wanted Phoebe to say goodbye to the babies because they wanted a, you know, heartstring moment. It is very sweet, like bittersweet as you watch her say goodbye to these babies. And it is kind of funny because there's a scene in which Rachel's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And then she's like, yeah, I know you'd never be able to do it. And then that's funny because like three seasons later, Rachel has a baby. So they, you know, had that call back. And then in terms of what happened behind the scenes as they were filming, they actually used real triplet babies um, and mm. they coated them in grape jelly so that they looked like they had actually just been delivered. Ew, ew. <laughs> and, and they had a nurse on set to keep track with a stopwatch the amount of time the babies were under the lighting. And they pre-filmed a lot of those scenes uh, because of the lighting issues and the noise that would, you know, occur while filming on set with these newborn babies and they didn't want them to like be too rowdy but in the final scene when phoebe says goodbye to the babies they have dolls instead um because they filmed that part in front of a live studio audience mm. um some notable character actors who guest starred in this episode include iqbal Theba, who played joey's doctor who would go on to play principal figgins on glee Sam Anderson, who played the Fonzie-loving delivery doctor, who played Sam Gorpley on Perfect Strangers, Holland Manners on Angel, and dentist Bernard Nadler on Lost. Patrick Fabian, who played the hot nurse, who was Howard Hamlin on Better Call Saul. I was like, I know that name. Oh, I didn't know that. Good for him. Yeah, yeah that's where you got to start. There's a lot of that on Friends, I will say. There's so yeah. many, like... Not known guest stars at the time, but like, you know, actors who would get their their big shot like five, ten years later. It's like Friends um, and Seinfeld, especially yes. before they had like big budgets. So like early seasons, they had so many character actors that you wouldn't expect or had totally forgotten about who kind of are doing like the same thing, but like on a bigger scale now, like for each or whatever. And so I, I I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I think that's just a really funny little coinky dink. Yeah, and then the one final person that appears in this is TJ Thine or Tyne, who plays 
uh, a young doctor. So so Rachel finds a young doc, another doctor to replace the Fonzie loving doctor for a little bit because it makes Phoebe and everyone really uncomfortable. But the young doctor is like too young for Phoebe. Like she thinks it's like Doogie Howser. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because he looks too young to deliver the babies. And the guy who played him would go on to play Dr. Jack Hodgins on the long standing TV show Bones, which I always <laughs> that show had like. I mean, I know Boreanaz makes good money from Angel, but like the Bones money, I oh, mean. I think the Bones money, I think it's like backing up a dump truck full of cash at the Boreanaz <laughs> household, you know. I don't think it has anything on Angel. Although Angel I... was syndicated for quite some time, so I'm sure it doesn't hurt. But yeah, that's why we don't see David Boreanaz anymore. He's, he's he doesn't have just to be seen. <laughs> he doesn't have to be seen. I, there was this one girl who my nemesis, one of my nemeses in uh, grade school and middle school, who bought a clotter ring, like the Irish oh, yeah. ring with the because that's David Boreanaz hat. I think that's his wedding ring with his wife. It was also a ring that he gives Buffy. We all and had yes, that ring. Yes, yes. It was ugh, I forget what he says to her because it, rewatching it now, like I I'm more on Team Angel and less on Team Spike, but like. He gives her that ring and it's all just very creepy. He's just a very I, old vampire and she's like 15. It's <laughs> it's it's very weird. I do have that ring as well. I, I found it the other like when I was at my parents' house and it was silver with a black heart because it was 1999, baby. And that ring does not fit my finger anymore. <laughs> Mine is all silver. I did, I did not get the cool black heart. I forget who gave it to me because I definitely asked for it as like a birthday present which makes it sadder for some reason. Um, but it also doesn't fit me either. So it's in my jewelry box, but I can't get rid of it because of the, the sentimental value. I'm an emotional Same. border. I bought it. I think I got it on the beach boardwalk. Like that was, <laughs> it's a cl- clotter ring. That's what they call them. Like, right? I think that's the that's Irish called, term, right? a clotter ring. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Uh, so uh, in terms of other facts for this episode, It was the second in ratings for the week. It finished second in ratings for the week, only behind ER because it's 1998. Um, And then uh, ER. Talk about something that has over 100 episodes. I thought about doing ER for a split second. but Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But all I want to talk about is the helicopter that murders people. Um, yeah. So other than that, I don't have anything else about this episode other than it's Lisa Kudrow's favorite episode. And she was really touched that that hundredth episode would be a plot line that's centered around Phoebe. Um, yeah, we don't get a lot of like Phoebe centered episodes. No, no. And to be honest, like, so I always loved Phoebe. She was always my favorite character, even when the show aired, but like even rewatching it now, because, you know, I let a few episodes play on HBO last night after I watched this episode. What's the harm? What's the harm? And I got to say like, you know, 2022 out of all those six, she's the least insufferable. I'm going to put it out there. I would have to agree. I, I, I am surprised how well Phoebe Boucher holds up and actually gets gets better over time like definitely thought uh, a little a little grading like kind of borderline like a uh, prototype manic pixie dream girl but like yes over time she's actually just the more normal one out of everybody and she- one thing that stands though is that ross is the fucking worst person on the show <laughs> You that know, never I changes. Used to be, I know. And I used to be a Ross apologist, but I rewatched and I was like, this is terrible. What was I thinking in my Ross apologist phase? Um, no. And I will say, like, Phoebe ends up with the best person. Paul Rudd is her, right. ends up being her husband. And he is a delight, just like he's a delight in everything. Yeah. Can't say enough good things. 
before but we her, kinda... not Ross. <laughs> but her, not yeah, not Ross. <laughs> no. But uh, before we end for today, do you have any final thoughts? Um, it was fun looking at hundred hundredth episodes. I was actually surprised at how few there were uh, in the time yeah. period that we were looking at. Because obviously, you know, we could have done Cheers or any number of them. I'm sure, but I was these days. Is that? I, I wonder if it's like the literal jumping the shark episode. Um, <laughs> but I think the I think the interesting thing is that like animation versus live action. Animation doesn't give a fuck about 100 episodes. They're like, this no. is just another day, baby. We're just we're just trucking along on Fox. Whereas live action, it means something or means a little bit more. So I do appreciate, even though the Friends plotline is maybe not my favorite, uh, both Buffy and Friends having a little bit of like heart. And it wasn't just like, here's what here's the plot of like an animated 100th episode. So <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, again, we want to thank you a whole bunch, a hundred times even, for continuing to tune in to our show. We can't thank you all enough. You've been a wonderful uh, audience, and uh, every message we get, every DM, every comment, every rating, review, like, it's just, it means a lot. So thank you for continuing to listen to us. Thanks for a hundred episodes, and we'll see you for a hundred more? Is that possible? I, th- I mean, know. we never, it seems every season, I have to say, I'm like, I don't really know if we're going to like be able to squeeze Same. out 10 or 14. And then, and then somehow it always comes together. And now we're at 100 episodes. So, yeah, I mean, who knows what episode number we'll end on? Um, we got to be getting close to those 10,000 hours, right? We got to be tipping Malcolm Gladwell style soon, right? <laughs> Probably. I wouldn't be surprised the way we're going. Can't stop, won't stop. Like Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, just like Malcolm Gladwell and his hair. (laughs) Well, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, As always, you can find us wherever you like to stream your podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, Audible, wherever. Uh, if you have one of those podcast providers and there's an option to leave a rating or a review, we always love those ratings and reviews. So please leave us one. Additionally, if you love this content and you just want more of that content, you can join us over at Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon to join that old millennial cinematic universe. Five bucks a month will get you at least two bonus pieces of content. And this month and next month, well, I guess this is airing in December. So November and December, you're getting a bonus piece of content. So stay tuned. And then finally, on the socials, you can find us at the Old Millennials Pod on both Instagram and Facebook. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye times a hundred. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.